G'day and welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life and those in life chat music and more. I'm John Merch. Thanks for joining me today. Kerith is our very special guest, recorded at the Adelaide Fringe at the Little Theatre. And by the end of the recording, you'll hear the lights going on and off inside the theatre as a bit of audio disturbance. Apologies in advance for that. Coming up in the next few episodes, we'll also be catching up from the Adelaide Fringe with Brian Moore Productions, as well as Shane Adamzak. But first, let's dive into this feature chat. Kareth Manderson-Galvin creates unconventional theatre, as well as live and performance art related to queer femininity. The major work they tour is Being Dead, Don Quixote, an ever-evolving signature piece that has both captured and sometimes alienated audiences. During the Adelaide Fringe 2020, they had this chat at the Little Theatre of the University of Adelaide. Kareth, welcome to Radio Notes. Thank you. We're going to start by just talking about the show you've brought to the Adelaide Fringe, because that's where you are right now in the space for which you're performing of an evening. The show's been and gone, but I know continues to tour as well. Sorry to be so plain to ask, but what is the show about? Doing it for quite a few years, and it has sort of changed as I've been changing over the time. So like what, or I've been like refining what it has been about. And really, I guess what it comes down to is about finding ways to be heroic in a world that doesn't see those qualities as heroic and so for me those things are feminine qualities and they're things that maybe don't always like know how to take up space on stage which is about like being weak and being soft and being yeah small and being indecisive and indirect and unreliable I think that that is like coming through in my form and in the way that I perform the work as well that I like try to I don't know because I've never seen it but what I am doing when I'm performing it is I'm trying to fill in like spaces in between words and spaces like in yeah in between and then to like invite people into my world and hopefully they will see those qualities as heroic is that what you think is happening well what I'm seeing (laughs) is a sense of allowing the audience to define their own upon what is real and what is performed and what how much of it is the actor talking to the audience and how much is it the actor performing to the audience yeah that divide and then when we play in gender in terms of you saying femininity or masculinity I guess being the other side of that yeah your ability to actually push closer to the femme side of that yeah and to explain that you have the right to own the space for which you are inhabiting for the 45 60 minutes whatever it may be yeah yeah or even like to choose not to inhabit it like I think that is sort of what I'm doing and what I'm interested in in general like in my practice is like why do I have to take up space and be bold and be strong and be clear why can't I do it in another way definitely you're right about this sort of like real and performed thing that you're saying is going on which I think is a bit about like going into a theatre that like it's not we all know that we're sitting down in a space of pretend yes and so I don't want to get rid of that like it's pretend but I'm also really there and you're really there but somehow those things have to like meet uh, and so I'm definitely playing in that with Don Quixote. And also because in Don Quixote there is like his reality and then the rest of the world's reality. So there's like my reality and the audience's reality and sometimes those things meet and sometimes they don't. That idea of identity and imagination, that of within the theatre, yeah. how that ex- is experienced through childhood 
and a child's sense of identity. And what I mean by that is a sense of play. Yeah. When a child goes to play, they get either a truck or a Barbie doll. Are you looking at some of those aspects as well? Only through maybe my own continuous coming of age um, in that I have learnt to like be okay with the fact that actually I do like Barbie and that actually I do like princesses and I like all of these things and that it's all right to lean into that even if they are like these like binary ideas of gender that I don't have to be afraid of that and I don't have to think that that makes me like conform to uh, heteronormative or cisnormative mm. things. So the gender construct of those things doesn't belittle in any way that you live as a person that is outside of either of those yeah, two yeah. binaries. I think I think of myself as like um, ultra binary or something. Do you know, like I've gone so far beyond into femininity that it has, yeah, moved on out to the edges, out into the wild. Whatever that feminine side is yeah. that you've grabbed onto and you've just kept on going and said, well, you're defining it as that, but I'm already three miles down the exactly. road. Exactly. That's how I. That is how I feel, and that's like what makes me feel. Makes me feel playful. You're right. Like makes me feel like it's something to have fun with, but also makes me feel safe and like I understand who I am, and it's not something that I always felt because it felt like something that people were putting on me, and that would say that I was femme or in an almost insulting way and so I tried to maybe push against that but I didn't feel comfortable until I found like femme as a queer identity. The idea of being queer in itself though can sometimes mean that there is no boundary that yeah. it actually I think you've said yourself skirts along and and really likes to redefine in some aspects what it actually represents. Yeah. Are you comfortable with the term queer further than outside of that of gender yeah queer is queer is what I both understand and don't understand at all but yeah I think because queer is this like ever-changing thing and like that's the place where I want to be what's changed over the last couple of years through doing the performance by being interactive with audiences and commanding the stage in the way that you do I think I got braver. Yeah. Or I just want to connect in different ways. I think I just became a better artist is probably what happened, is that I got a bit older and I went and did my master's and become more comfortable with sometimes my failings as an artist and as a performer. How important is failure as an artist? I think heaps important, but I also think it makes for more interesting art. Watching failure in performance, I think, is thrilling. It's so thrilling. And so when I say I got braver, I think it's because I feel more comfortable if things go wrong in a performance and being able to react to it instead of wanting to be perfect, which lots of people want in art and in performance you want to do like the best job and there's like a funny thing in theatre where you're doing all these shows and then you're like waiting to get it right and like when will be the night when you've done the show the best that you could ever do and then you keep wanting to repeat that 
result and I don't think that's interesting and I don't think that that's what performance is about I think it's about like doing it differently each way and like sometimes it going in a very unexpected like failed direction and that's where I think oh this is so cliche where the magic happens but it is yeah that's this this like precarity in performance I really like and that is something that I am like getting closer to I think I guess what I'd like to know also with works like this that it'd be great if more people were going to the theatre that they're actually seeing something on program not reading a review just going and seeing something and learning do you get a sense that people still do that I have no idea and mostly I have no idea because I can only say what happens when I go to the theatre and often I don't think that I'm open enough to it. I think we go in, maybe particularly as a performance maker, you go in a little bit ready to judge the work instead of going in, yeah, completely open and and receiving it for the value that the work has without saying oh well it wasn't to my taste or it wasn't what I expected or it wasn't what I would do or or whatever I think maybe we need to be kinder that's mostly just me talking to myself I need to be a kinder audience member but I still don't actually want to go to a main stage play Kerith is our very special guest. They are currently here at the Little Theatre with their performance of Being Dead Don Quixote. Now, whilst it's left Adelaide, it continues. It's been around for a while. I assume it's got a few more years left in it. Oh, not sure. Yeah. Whoa, okay. <laughs> not sure. Maybe, yeah. I'll just keep on news. going. This is it. Yeah, yeah. When I had originally made it, then I thought that it would be something that I could do forever and just, like, change it every time to suit what was happening in my life which has sort of been what's happening is it like I will remove a bit and replace it with something else that is done in a similar way but yeah I just sort of slant it differently to fit where I am now what music are you currently listening to what am I currently listening to I mean I saw Lydia Lunch the other day so I'm like constantly having a love affair with Lydia Lunch can we talk about it because I kind of forgot kind of didn't go kind of was scared to why? Because I adore her so much. Oh, yes. Okay, so... See, I feel bad because I'll go to Henry <laughs> Rollins every time he's in town, but Lydia, I didn't make the effort. Bad. Because you like her too much. Oh, because I used to play her on the radio back in the 90s. Oh, my God, the best. You're the best radio person ever. 30 minutes just like... Ding. Oh, that's heaven. Talk to me about Lydia Lunch. Let's start there. Lydia Lunch. I mean, I have lunch tattooed on my wrist because I got her to sign my arm. That's why I have that. It's Lydia Lunch. Okay. Yeah. Used to think that I didn't like music because I thought I didn't – I just thought I didn't like music. I hadn't found the music that really, like, spoke to me and felt – yeah, I just just thought I hated music. And then I – found this band Primitive Calculators that are from Melbourne because I went to an exhibition and I watched a video of one of their songs and then I saw this is a weird journey of how I got to Lydia Lunch but it's important then I ended up being connected with Stuart Grant because he's in Melbourne and we became friends is Stuart Grant in the Primitive Calculators he introduced me to Lydia Lunch because he was like this song you will like and then he sent me Teenage Jesus and the Jerks he was like you will love Teenage Jesus and the Jerks and I did and then I was like there is music that I love and it was Primitive Calculators and Teenage Jesus and the Jerks my best like the most happy music is just that tiny little 
moment in time of no wave music is perfect for me. To then see her on stage in a little town called Adelaide. Seeing Lydia Lunch, and I've thought that every time I've seen her perform, it makes me feel like I'm on drugs. My whole body from my feet up to my head starts buzzing. I feel a little bit like I'm going to be sick in my, like it just goes into my body. I feel ill. Then the next day I felt like I was hungover slash coming down, but I didn't have any alcohol. That is my experience of Lydia Lunch. When yeah. was the first experience with her? It's like maybe four years ago or something. I saw her play at Supersense. Maybe that's five years ago now. Okay. And then I've seen her play twice in Melbourne at the Tote. And then I saw her do Spoken Word last year. How do you see the difference between the music and the spoken word for you as, yeah, yeah. as a fan? <laughs> I mean, I prefer the music. Sorry, Lydia Lunch. But I think she's a remarkable performer. And I think she's such a clever performer so clever that like I think she knows exactly what she is doing to work the performance of it yeah what a hero something about her music that really got into me yeah so good she's so good what was the first if it took you a while to get into music as you've just confessed yeah, there, yeah. what was the first album you bought then is I know that I had this, like, country and western album that had, like, Stand By Your Man on it and... Was it Dolly and Kenny Rogers or something or...? No, it was all different artists. It was like... But I've no idea why I would have thought to buy that CD. So it was So peculiar. Yeah, yeah. And then... This is when I was, like, 11 or something. Do you know? At Sanity or something. I don't know. Those were Um, the days. And so that and then... I can't remember, but then I feel like the next year, or maybe it's that same year, then I know that one of, like, my first CDs that I had as a young person, I know that I had Regurgitated Unit, Mm -hmm. unless that was my brother's, but I think, no, it was mine, it was Mm -hmm. mine. Yeah, I think it got moved into his bedroom, but it was mine, yeah. (laughs) What other albums during that time before we move on? Yeah, this is a funny thing of being a young person. Maybe I'm getting time confused. That must be when I am like 13 or something, actually. I'm 33. Anyway. Oh. You know, like, I know that I listened to the Spice Girls, so I owned the Spice Girls. Right. And I loved the Spice Girls, and I thought they were the best. Right. So it wasn't because everyone else was what what you want, what you really, really want. You actually wanted what you want what you I can't yeah yeah I like them I still like them okay yeah which Spice Girl are you and which Spice Girl <laughs> did you admire which one are you well because I have brown hair I had to always be posh Spice right and which it's... one did you admire I like Baby the best which oh. actually is really telling for kind of who I am now that I liked the like hyper feminine one yeah that's interesting which Spice Girl are you well look I um do like Ginger, that's, but that's that's just because she was so forthright. No, I'm going to stick with Ginger. Yeah, great. Yeah, Jerry's solo career came out at the right time and everything else. <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm going. I'm going with Jerry Halliwell. And do you like the movie Spice I, World? I do. Yeah, me too. How good is the bus moment? One of the greatest cinema moments ever. What's been the well the favorite live performance has to be Lydia Lunch. Then hands down, there's no question no, about. No, no, no. Favourite live performance Yeah, it was Patti Smith. But that was as much about her as it was about the audience because it felt like 
she sung like the first note and then I swear everyone in Hamer Hall went <gasps> and then we all breathed out at the same time. Yeah, that was amazing. That was like, uh, I'm just going to say it. That was like a real religious thing. Like she, yeah, made it like a church. It was yes. amazing. I think felt like we all were experiencing the same emotions. Like I went with a friend and afterwards we spoke to each other and we were like, at this point I felt so joyous and at this point I felt sad and at the same point in the show we had felt really sleepy. Like, I don't know, there's just, yeah, this amazing on mass feeling of emotions. Talk us through that sleepy feeling. Was it a sense <laughs> of hypnotics? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know, I just felt really sleepy. It could also be just being overwhelmed. I also once saw... Tori Amos mm-hmm. when I was 17 and I fell asleep and I loved her more than anything then I was felt very invested in seeing her and I fell asleep like it was too much and then through the next day after that I slept for like the full 24 hours because I was so exhausted yeah well, <laughs> it's so weird so you were into music I guess then. I was actually yeah 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 and I loved that's true and in high school yeah like Annie DeFranco Tori Amos all those people Fiona Apple and I still like think Fiona Apple is probably one of my favourite uh, did you ever go through the jewel phase? no no I like to sing Foolish Games at karaoke it's my best karaoke song you answered my next question oh, what is your karaoke song? Weird. so it's Foolish what's Games your, what's yours? I don't do karaoke oh. I don't go in public okay <laughs> yeah, neither do I, I, I really I'm nervous enough around one yeah, person yeah. let alone a whole whole room of Same. people I know it's about Don Quixote yeah. But why bring up Don Burke in your performance? <laughs> Give me a home. Give me a home. I just think of it as my, like, childhood. Yeah. But also, yeah, just give me a, I think the lyrics are really great. And the more I think about the performance, I've done something very clever, which is that towards the beginning I have Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairies play and then in the end it's Home Among the Gum Trees with lots of plum trees. I might be a genius. I think you might yeah. be. Also, I just found out that that song was written about Betty Burstall, who's the founder of La Mama in Melbourne. It was written about her house. Do you enjoy being in the bush? Oh, interesting. If I'm given a choice of trees or beach, I choose trees. Yeah, I don't want to go camping, but I find great peace from being in the trees. Yeah, and being alone. So those trees could still be in like a leafy suburb. They don't necessarily have to be out whoop whoop way. No, but it is sometimes nice to go and like actually be in a in bushland or forest or whatever. But really, yeah, I have a house now. I used to live in an apartment. And now I have a house with a garden and that has changed so much of my like me mm-hmm. feeling happy is having a house where I can look outside at the garden that I don't know how to maintain and the washing that I don't know how to hang and yeah (laughs) I just like it it's so pretty it's a lovely thing to say because I was having a chat to Will Anderson earlier this week he's revealed that he's moving into a house with a backyard and he himself wants to get out in the garden did it come with anything spectacular that you've you've fallen head over heels for a flower or a tree that was already there that you went yeah it's got like vines sort of situation halfway through the garden on a little gate that then climbs up 
into trees and then if you pass that little gate then there's like another half of the garden so yeah it has very secret garden type feeling to it but really behind that gate is just the washing line and a shed and a toilet attached to the shed that I've been there for three years and I've never cleaned and so the spiders live there and I can't ever access that room ever again that's the spiders live there now so that that there's a true outhouse yeah for our international listeners, if you're thinking about red back on the toilet, that's the kind of scenario we're talking about. It's just you let the spider just live out there. They do their thing. Yeah, I saw the scariest spider in my backyard the other day, and it was orange. Ooh. And it was orange, and it was like, oh, it was disgusting. It was very round and like like a swollen belly type thing. Yeah, it was disgusting, and it had made the biggest web ever ever but then it was gone in the morning so right so that's it, the story of horror so it's an obese orange <laughs> spider <laughs> horror that you discriminated against and, and went Ooh, it's awful it's scary because they'll come inside and also it will have babies and then there will be lots of spider babies everywhere and i can't kill them because i don't want to actually kill the spider but i don't want the spider babies to come inside my house and take over my house and then where will i sleep maybe it's a friendly spider no well, hey, hey, this is Jeremy Neal, and I'm coming up on Radio Notes to talk all about life and my new album, We Were Trying to Make It Out. We're having a chat about music. We got to the karaoke bit of it. Do you play a musical instrument yourself? I can really slowly and badly play guitar, so no. But I tried to teach myself how to play guitar really hard and I know how to play chords but I don't know how to make the chords become a song so I really slowly mostly play Fiona Apple songs on the guitar and I have like ring and then it will take me 10 minutes to sing like one sentence and then I go ring to the next chord what's the voice instrument like is it is it any good do you reckon yeah sometimes it's really good actually sometimes I have a good singing voice it's definitely not um being around musicians now, I realise like how incredible singers are or like how amazing musicians are and that like average musicians are not that good. So my, my voice is fine. Yeah, but I don't like singing in front of people. So you mentioned karaoke before. I wouldn't That's not real though. Karaoke is not real singing in front of people because you're not expected to be good or not and then if you're like sort of good like I'm quite good at foolish games but and so if you're sort of good at it everyone treats you like you're the best singer ever because it was very unexpected Kareth is our special guest on Radio Notes today we're having a chat with them as they continue to tour their original work I want to move on to Kathy Acker who I know little about but have spent a good two hours this morning diving into oh, cool. them. Talk to me about when you were first introduced to Kathy Acker and what I might yeah. need to know about her. When I was 22, I had a boyfriend who said that I wrote like Kathy Acker. He's being very complimentary <laughs> by doing that and that I should read her. And then, yeah, and he was 100% correct because I love her. I think she's amazing. She uses cut up style where she will take from different sources of literature and then like mush them together to make something else and sometimes the writing is like yeah bad like she does lots of like willfully bad writing or she will play with things and like repeat 
sentences a lot and it will move in very unexpected ways. I remember I read an interview where it said that she didn't expect you to read her books from beginning to end and that you can just like pick it up and open it wherever you want. And that's really how they read. I think they're incredible. Yeah. I find her such an amazing writer because her writing is like infuriating sometimes and sometimes it's very boring and then sometimes it's beautiful and I just like that you're allowed to do that. To not self-censor, I'm thinking. (laughs) Yeah, and to just play. And she's playing with like, yeah, ideas and with language. I also think she's really cool. And also she came to my house, this is after... I had decided that I loved her. I found out that she came to my house for dinner when I was a child. There's a story that needs telling. Um, Well, I don't know because I was only little. She came to my house with, uh, I think, John Giorno, who is a poet-artist person, and they both came for dinner at our house. Now, why would those two be at your house for dinner? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's that my dad had something to do, something to do with my parents. Not sure. Not not exactly sure. My mum is an academic. My dad, at the time, was on the board of a dance company. Maybe that's why. I'm not sure. But that's like, no, yeah. My dad is was a used to be a public servant. But he they're not like cool people that hang out with like avant garde artists. I don't know why this. No, happened. but yeah, you've said they the father whilst in that job had an interest of being in a board of the arts so had some part of them that wanted to invest in the arts yeah yeah my Uh, parents have always been in some way connected to things my dad was also an actor for a bit probably he would say for a lot he was an actor but yeah he's also like his main job was being a public servant once an actor always an actor and then his main job was being my dad and he was like a stay-at-home dad and did the tuck shop and all of those things and my mum yeah is a medical anthropologist was away a lot of the time traveling the world yeah yeah which I think I'm sure that that has like shaped a lot of kind of who I am as a person and how I view gender and how I view relationships as well because they don't have a necessarily conventional relationship because my mum was away so much and is away so much my parents I did a show a play with them two years ago now with my parents and my brother and me. With them included. We were all acting in it, yeah. For someone who sees themselves as an actor, that, that must have brought your father great joy. Yeah, I think it was good. He was stressed about having to learn lines, but we didn't have to learn lines because we read off scripts the whole thing. And then my mum did learn the lines and that was very irritating to me because the premises are reading so we we're meant to be reading off the page what a show off that she learned the lines and they were the best like my dad and my mum really outshone my brother and I getting a sense that it was your father who got Kathy Acker to the house not the mum I think so yeah must have must have although now Lenore will yeah call me up and say it was me I don't know the specifics of this story that I'm sure they the both case. did I feel like probably my mum would have like organised the dinner but maybe it was through connection of my dad. One day I'll find this out. Decade before the partner at the time at 22 was asking you to investigate this artiste that had been part of their life, and now a decade on, are they still informing the work that you write? 100%. Yeah, because I use that process. Always I use that process that I will take one text and then I will, like, steal stuff from that and then at the same time I will be reading, like... 
philosophy or queer theory or whatever and then I'll be like taking stuff from that and then I will go down some kind of like weird rabbit hole of research and all the while I will be like collaging things together and then sometimes at the end of that process it will have nothing to do with that stuff that I, you know I will have like found my own way of writing or sometimes I'm yeah still keep all that stuff collaged together you once said why can't words just be words what were you relating that to I scribbled that oh, down this yeah, morning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was from a show that I did, Don't Bring Lulu. I was thinking about that. Oh, just because I was so sick of everything having meaning. I was really just, like, not a very happy person at the time. But I was really sick of one thing having to mean ten other things. But anyway, that's actually not how I think anymore and not how I work because now I'm really deliberately, at least in this show. So there has been a change. Yeah, yeah, there has. It was a weird time in my life. Sorry to bring it up, but I wanted to know if there had been a change. I had so many opinions about things that I don't agree with anymore at that time. Yeah, I just was sick of meaning in language, maybe also in the body. I was like, which still remains, like I'm sick Mm. of like... People reading things into something and it not just being able to exist. Being dead, Don Quixote, I'm doing the opposite because when I say one line, in my head I know that I mean a lot of things. Mm. So in what's an example? Oh, like a really basic one is like at the beginning when I say... I tell the audience that if they want to move, they can and if they want to change where they are, they can. You can change where you're sitting, but also if you want to change where you are in life and in the world, then you can. If you want to move, you can. If you want to leave, you can. But yet no one walks onto stage and takes a seat on the stage. No one turns their back to you. No one literally normally would probably move. Yeah. Because it's so confronting that the performer is giving such agency to an audience. Yeah. And hope maybe that, you know, goes with you when you leave off into the world and you're like, oh, I can leave society. I can move in different ways in the world. But yeah, every line in that show has a lot of meanings that I wish somebody would (laughs) notice. But yeah, a lot of work. And I think that's why it's (laughs) crucial that people see the work more than once. Yeah, I think so too. I think it can be seen more than once. You will take something different. And also there's like multiple readings that can be done. I might say that it's my main thing at the moment is queer femininity, but actually there's like at least four or five ways that I could also read the work and so there's probably a hundred ways that someone that is not me can interpret the work and I hope that they do I hope they trust their own experience of it the do-it-yourself aesthetic is something beautiful that I think you have a great engagement with what do you mean by the DIY aesthetic I don't know how to do a lot of things but I should try so I make a video that is not that is imperfect because that's that's where my skill level is but it's it's mine I did it all myself yeah and also a little bit in performance this is sort of cynical but um I don't have the money to make the like Robert Wilson spectacular that maybe exists in my mind so there's no point trying to make that image yeah this like big thing where like the set disappears and then becomes something else um and then something is lowered from the ceiling that you didn't see was going to happen yeah I don't have the money or skills to do that so then I have like big images like that in my brain 
and then I refine them and keep going back and stripping them back and stripping them back into something that to me feels the same at that but is what I can do that brings it back to the essence of the performance though doesn't it yes yeah 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 as well so really I'm like finding the thing that I wanted to do without all of the like bells and whistles distractions even yeah let's get you back to music what music brings you a sense of joy a sense of joy joy is a really funny word I can tell you what gives me a sense of yeah of a like high yep yeah which I already mentioned which is primitive calculators makes me feel just thrilled and high what else makes me feel like that what it's because this is like about to happen here at RCC is that what gives me a sense of like sort of bliss is listening to people like Steve Reich or maybe that's joy maybe that gives me joy yeah and you know because well there's a sense of an anticipation there obviously yeah entering a space of like you don't have to think is maybe what I think joy is oh my god that's weird yeah what brings you joy you're not completely comfortable with that I don't know I'm just trying to work out what that what is what brings me joy you know, but sometimes like proper pop music does too, I guess. And I guess... Which is the same of like not having to think. You did ask me, so I'll answer by giving yeah. you this nugget of sometimes the joy isn't in the happiness of it, but just in the familiarity of it that sometimes, you know, I'll find that sense of joy in terms of knowing that that was that place where everything was okay. And whilst it may not be the most happiest of music, gives that sense of of understanding and, and, and knowledge of where I was at that time and that things are okay. Yeah. And that's where that joy sense of idea comes from. Oh. But is that joy or is that comfort? Well, you can find comfort in joy and I joy guess. and comfort, <laughs> oh can't God. you? These are all just words. This is a thing of like what kind of word? Just mean a word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's so many. It's all um, subjective and changes every day of like what what is joy, what is comfort what are all of those things yeah sometimes just pop music though like I also just really like proper sugary pop I really like lesbian pop music there's a person Hayley Kiyoko and her music is beautiful like it's so poppy and why is it defined as lesbian pop and not just pop because they're lesbians the people that write it and they're singing about girls and because it's you don't hear it all the time so yeah it's it's special it feels special hearing her sing girls like girls like boys do it feels special even though it's so simple Uh, and i guess just while we're in that sort of sphere a little bit to the right of that the appropriation of queerness within the music scene in the last couple of years or so how's that made you feel oh yeah just boring just really boring also same of like pop musicians like appropriating stuff from like sex workers like stripper culture is very boring it's so boring inappropriate because they don't have to experience stigma which same of like appropriating queer things it's like well it's all well and good for you because you don't yeah there's no risk did you have that same sense of feeling when you were working in the industry and seeing it or was it after you left the industry that became obvious that it was being appropriated? Well, I still sometimes work as a stripper. I've okay. come back to it. I like quit for like many years and now I've like come back to it in a very part-time way. 
So it is very much now. It is well. now, but it also what? Yeah, I can remember. I don't even know what song it is, but there was like a Rihanna song, and in the film clip, it used something to do with strippers. And then I was interviewed for an article about it, and I was like, "Yes, I do not like this." Correct. I just yeah, mostly it's boring. Everyone's very boring. Gareth, how much longer do you think performance will be part of your life? Do you see it as being that ongoing companion? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes You're I sometimes no, no. Yeah, because like I think I spend a lot of. Sometimes I don't think it will. Sometimes I'm like, I've got to get a job. Or what am I doing? I've got to get a real job. I've got to do something good for the world. And like making art doesn't always feel like I'm doing anything good. Talk us through that. That, that, oh, that like upsets it, me. It can feel like, what does it actually achieve? But then sometimes I don't feel like that. And right now I think that I love performance and I think it has value. And I'm not sure what impact it has on the world, but maybe there is some. I don't think it has a huge... I must say, yeah, I don't know that I believe that it has a... does as much good as other things might do but there's a lot of people in theatre that might not do much but then there's people like yourself that are actually trying to put new works forward yeah that aren't doing a reworking of some Shakespearean play yeah I think maybe actually it adds like benefit to people's like lives daily lives to like feel Ruby Jones who are they should we be getting into their music yes absolutely Ruby Jones is a friend of mine and a very talented musician and Ruby works with Jules Pascoe who is in On Diamond. I first heard it in a room downstairs in my old house slash apartment and they didn't show the music to anyone for a very long time. They had been in another band that had been touring quite a lot and then that band stopped existing. Now they make this music and I think it is very beautiful and honest and I can't wait to see where it all goes. And I very much hope they have an album coming out this year. Sometimes I cry when I watch them perform as well, which is usually a really good sign. Are you a big crier? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's, I either will cry and it means it's really good or I cry and it means it's really bad. But if I don't have a cry, then what was the point of me leaving the house? Like I didn't experience anything. So there's very much a heart-eye kind of reaction yeah. through a soul kind yes. of thing. I want to finish on that so the radio okay. people can play some Ruby Jones. Oh, cool. But for everyone else listening on the podcast, thanks very much, Kareth, for joining us. Thank you. Kareth Manderson Galvin. Main touring piece is Being Dead, Don Quixote. They can be found online at unofficialkarethfanclub.com as well as through mka.org.au. Thanks very much for your patience there during that chat with the audio. The lights inside the little theatre because of the phantom power on my gear was playing a little bit of Havoc, which is why I'm hoping to have a dedicated studio built in the western suburbs in the not-too-distant future to avoid such interruptions. But anyway, speaking about the western suburbs, we head to the Holden Street Theatre next time to catch up with the married couple that are the Brymore Productions to talk about children's theatre proved to us that this character would work and that people were interested in it. And I think equally that character sparked the thing that I think is the most prevalent in our work which is 
children's ideas are 100% of what we do. Children should be given the space to be able to give ideas and for people to be like, you're right. Like, if you say a green monkey from Mars went to Coles, you're absolutely correct, he did. And that, I think, is the thing that really started Validating the, the creative mind that they have. Yeah. yeah. What we learned very fast was coming from a world where we, we didn't make children's theatre into a world where we do, was that there are just these brilliant ideas and they're so pure. And genius. Yeah. Holly and Sean there of Brymore Productions who will be talking about children's theatre next time. Thanks very much to our feature guest, Kerith Manderson-Galvin. RadioNotesPodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Murch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia. 